Dr. Combs Optimization Academy. I am super excited to bring to you part two of my interview with Dr. Elizabeth Yurt. For those who missed part one, I highly suggest you go back and listen to it. But for those who didn't, just know Dr. Yurt is the co-founder and medical director of Boulder Longevity Institute, where she has been providing tomorrow's medicine today. I really like the sentence. I'm not going to repeat it again. I did the first time. The coolest sentence. If you weren't on the phone or on the line with me, I might steal it. I can't because you see me, so I can't steal that. But it's your, I love it. It's an amazing uh, tagline. And she's been doing this since 2006, and we're so excited to have you back for part two. So welcome back to the show, Dr. Earth. Hey, Dr. Joe. Thank you. So for those who missed part one, we went over some of the key points highlighting here is that why it's important to maintain strength and mobility and function as women get older, the importance of myokines, very new concept. I really want you guys to go back and understand that why strength training is important. And we went over some of the foundational things to understand about keeping strong and keeping fit and functional as we get older. So for part two, this is the fun. The first part was fun. This is the really fun part. We're going to talk about some of these cutting edge strategies for improving strength and function and mobility in our older female patients, because we've already talked. So the foundations, you can, you know, you can Google that. You can do the Wikipedia thing on that, right? So we know you need to exercise. We know you need to eat right. We know you need to drink water. We know you need to sleep. We know we need to manage stress and optimize our hormones. And that's the excellent, that's the foundation. And any doc you see that's in this space should get your foundation set first before we advance to the things we're going to talk about now. Now that your foundation is set, then we get to really step on the gas and do the cool stuff. So we're going to talk about some of these cutting edge strategies with Dr. York today. So I'm excited. I told her before we got started, I'm just going to like let you go. You take the reins and I'm just going to sit back and listen and learn. So welcome back. Well, well feel, feel free to rein me in. Um, it, it was funny. I was doing a podcast with this guy who was pretty new to the podcast world. And, and he like shut off the, the, you know, I was rambling on and he, 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 he shut off the recording for a few minutes and he goes, so, you know, when you're talking too much, I'm just going to scratch my head like this. And that'll be sort of your cue that you're talking too much. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so if you scratch your head, I'll shut All up. Right, no worries. No <laughs> I'm worries. trained now. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, yeah, we talked about, and again, you guys don't, the stuff we're going to talk about is kind of cool and, you know, and cutting edge, but again, go back and, and learn about myokines. Cause the last stuff we're going to talk about in, in sort of, uh, you know, these next steps is how do we build more muscle and feel better, but it all, most of it still comes down to muscle, right? It's, it's number one, getting muscle and preventing injury, because that's, that's going to set you way back. And as somebody who's lived through a lot of injuries, um, you know, when you get an injury, it sucks and it sets you way back. So one of the things we definitely want to do is prevent getting hurt as we're getting strong, right? So we need to always talk about how do we keep ourselves from getting hurt as we're doing these things. Um, so, so a lot of the things are going to come back down to everything is about preventing injuries and building muscle. Cause if we build muscle. Now we actually have a bigger foundation because the muscles produced all these hormones that, you know, these myokines that we talked about in the last talk, these myokines that are having all these far reaching benefits. So one of the, you know, one of the points I can't kind of go without talking about is this whole concept of autophagy. And a lot of you guys have probably you know, her, it's a big, I think the big buzzword right now is autophagy, right? Which basically means cell eating. So self, basically cell self eating. So basically our cells are designed to when they get old and damaged to die, they kill themselves off, right? And they recycle their good parts. So that's autophagy. And it's actually, so, you know, we, we now are equating that to a lot of different aspects of aging, you know, cardiac aging, brain aging, everything comes down to, you got to clean up. 
So, you know, I always told my patients it's a little bit like the, you know, the hoarder, right? Well, getting cool stuff is good, but too much cool stuff, your house fills up and then you're, you can't move. Exact same thing happens in our cells. So if we can't get rid of the bad cells, then we can't really get anywhere. So, you know, so inducing autophagy actually is really critical. If you just do all this stuff that causes growth, but you're not cleaning stuff out, you're going to actually end up with problems. In fact, you know, so when you talk about muscle building, there was a, um, a very recent study that was done where they looked at this mouse that is, is unable to do autophagy. So it's missing this gene. So it doesn't, it has no autophagy and the mice got super, super tiny and skinny and, and lost all of their muscle mass and they died very rapidly. So we know that actually, and when they tried to strengthen the mouse, they couldn't, they made it lift little mouse weights and it couldn't get any stronger. So we know that, that these, that autophagy is actually critical to the regrowth of muscle. So how do we induce autophagy? Well, one of the ways obviously is fasting, right? Intermittent fasting. So going longer periods of time without eating helps us to get rid of bad cells, you know? And there's a lot of question. I mean, you probably get that, you know, what is the perfect length of autophagy? You know, and I don't know that the answer is out there. Um, and I think it's probably a little different for different people. Um, I, I do think that using an intermittent fasting, just using a 16, eight kind of fasting. And, and, and Greg, what do you tell your patients in terms of fasting? Um, I really like 16, eight. I know there's yeah. a lot of five and twos out there. I think that's a little bit extreme. It's like the five days and the two days of eating, right, um, and two days, two days 12 and 12, 16, eight seems to work well, because that tends to work well with the average person's work schedule. Right. And so and especially life, and, yeah. if, exactly because theoretically eight of those hours, you should be asleep. So you're really right. having to focus on eight hours. I really like 16, eight. I think I've had the most compliance with that one. Right. And I think you get from the, the, the muscle building world, people are like, well, if I'm fasting, I can't build muscle. And actually it doesn't appear to be the case that you can fast and still build muscle as long as you're exercising. And in fact, the study, they showed that because it did induce autophagy, you actually may build muscle more when you're exercising in a fasted state, even now, some people just can't do it, but exercising in a fasted state may actually help help build more muscle. So, so that's kind of an interesting, you know, sort of an interesting piece. So as long as you're eating a healthy diet, you can still build muscle even in this, this fasted state. And I usually, I follow 16, eight. It's what I usually advise to my patients is it is maintainable and doable. And even if you don't do it all the time, like lots of times I'll fall off. If I'm going to, you know, go out with my family on a weekend or something, I might fall off of it, but you know, you don't have to be perfect. Nobody has to be perfect, but you want to be good most of the time. Sure. So that's kind of a, you know, a starting place and it's something to not ignore because a lot of the stuff we do is designed to stimulate growth. And if I'm always stimulating growth without getting rid of the bad stuff, then I'm, I'm, it's going to be futile. Right. So don't forget that piece of it. I think it, you kind of have to have that piece in it. Um, so a quick question on that, because for our listeners out there, and actually I'd love to get your take on it too, because when you start reading to it and people are going to start looking up autophagy, you may see the concept of senescence. Right. And then if you um, look at senescence, inevitably, you're going to start looking at senolytics. And so right. is there a difference between senolytic and autophagous? Or is it the kind of a synonym for each other? Or is it a little bit different? I think that's so, kind of a... So, so we, I always explain, you know, so cell senescence is that our cells basically get older and older and older. And as they do, they start filling up with more of that trash, right? So the cells start filling up with these bad proteins. We call them SAS, secretory mm -hmm. associated senescent phenotype or proteins. And so they get, you know, so, so, and, and in, in our world, we like to call them zombie cells. And that's because as these cells get old and big and full of trash and they have all these bad proteins in them, they actually start spewing these proteins out and killing the cells around them. 
So zombies is the perfect way to think about it, right? Just like zombies, the senescent cells should be dead. They should have killed themselves off. Cells design when it's, you know, so a senescent cell is supposed to do autophagy, right? So if it doesn't, meaning I've altered autophagy, I don't have enough autophagy, the senescent cell stays alive. So basically cell senescence, increase in cell senescence is due to a lack of autophagy. So that old cell says, oh, I'm full of trash. I'm going to kill myself off, give away my good parts and move on. When it doesn't, because my autophagy is not working well, then they stay alive and they start damaging the cells around them. And we can see this in everything. We can see it in brain, heart, joints. So a big part, even when I'm treating my arthritis patients, is to induce autophagy um, because we want to get rid of all the bad cartilage cells or they're going to damage any new cells that we're trying to form. So, so basically think about increased cell senescence as a lack of autophagy. And so drugs that induce autophagy are usually senolytic. They are getting rid of the senescent cells, meaning lysine senescent cells, senolytics. You know, and those are things like, I mean, one of my favorites is spermidine. Um, spermidine is, uh, is basically what's called a polyamine, and it's, it's a really good autophagy-inducing agent. We know that higher levels of polyamines in our, in our blood are equated to longer life, better mental clarity, things like that. But there's lots of them out there. Like, you know, you've got quercetin, you've got fisetin, you've got fasting. There's lots of ways to induce, you've got rapamycin. Yeah. So there's, you know, lots of ways to induce autophagy. So, but I think it's very important that everybody is practicing as you get older, some type of using, be it fasting, be it a supplement, um, autophagy inducing agent. Now, do we always want to be in autophagy? So what I do with my patients is I will cycle them to a very aggressive autophagy periods, right? Like probably the, the most, one of the most potent synolytics that we have is rapamycin. And rapamycin is a drug you have to have it prescribed. And it's an old drug that was utilized, you know, years ago as a chemotherapeutic agent. And now they sort of said, oh, you know, and why was it a chemotherapeutic? Because it was killing cells, right? It was killing fast growing cells. So if you take it every day, not a good thing. Good for cancer to take it every day, but not so good for you because now you're killing off all the growth you're trying to do. So what we do with things like rapamycin is we take them periodically, like once a week. Or some people do one week out of every couple of months or you know, there's different ways of doing it, but you never stay on it continuously or you're stopping all cell growth. And the same thing's probably true about, you know, so, so those of you who are taking some type of senolytic like spermidine or um, quercetin or fisetin, usually you want to cycle those things. You don't want to be doing them at a high dose continuously because you may be impeding some of your ability to get stronger, get bigger, get, you know, so, so some of your growth. So like even with spermidine, I always do a baseline dose of spermidine because I know it's really good for my health and protecting my brain, but I will go through more high doses where I know I'm really kicking out all the bad cells. So I, I will put my patients through cycles of really aggressive autophagy and then cycle them off a little bit, let the trash build up a tiny bit, right. And allow more growth. So that's, you know, I think it's, it, that's probably one of the tougher things in our field is balancing that growth and death piece, right. It's always that balance between, being anabolic or build up and being catabolic or break down because they have to be somewhat balanced, right? Exactly, exactly. So I have a kind of similar, I'll do a um, kind of like my senolytic kind of run is I'm still working the kinks out of it because it's sort of new is I'll do more of the uh, like a senolytic supplement and do kind of start with that either two weeks or four weeks, just depending on how, you know, where they are in their life and what's going on. And then I'll either look at something in the peptide world we can go down that rabbit hole if we need to. I may do like a FOXO4 DRI, so FOXO4 DRI IV. And I say, okay, we're good. 
let's see how you do for the next three or four months or maybe six months, maybe like a once right. or twice a year thing, because again, I want to make sure they're not, you know, impeding their good cells or affecting right. their ability to produce more good cells or, or build and all that stuff. So this is great. This is for people like, because these supplements, you mostly send a like, so, so got <clears throat> Most of these synolytic supplements you can just buy on and get them on Amazon or your health food store. But I think it's important people to hear that is right. this is something not something you want to do every single day, right? All the time, right? It'd be detrimental. So I think that's a very key point right there. So right, yeah. I think that's where when when you look at NAD, where I am struggling a little bit, and, and I and I know the NAD bandwagon and people love NAD right now, and um and you, you virtually, but I'll, I'll, I'm attending a conference in January to talk about nothing but NAD, because I think we may be NAD, we know NAD levels decline as we age, right? So should we just shove more NAD into people? Well, that may not all be the right choice either, because there's this balance between of NAD where it can, it's, a, it's, it's great for growth, but we know that when you screw up metabolism, so the main pieces that is how the NAD is metabolized. It's what's called the NAD, NADH ratio. I think when you just throw NAD into the mix and you haven't fixed the downstream problems of why the NAD is dropping when we age, which has to do mostly with this, this basically CD38. So CD38 basically increases as we age and, and that, that depletes NAD. So if I, if, I, if I just throw NAD into the mix and I haven't addressed the CD38, I actually screw up some pathways. And so I think there may be some simplicity to what we're doing with NAD that we're overlooking some of the deeper pathways. And, you know, you and I, you know, both love Bill Seeds because he's a very pathway guy. And so I'll be very interested to hear his take on this because I, I, I love NAD, I, but I think you've got to be careful with it or you are going to induce cancer cell growth. And I think that you've got to be looking at fixing some of the other pieces in the NAD pathway when you're using NAD aggressively or its precursors, NMN and R. So I, I do think we've gotten maybe a little bit, you know, oh, cool, NAD gets low when we age, let's just give NAD without overlooking some of the other pathway disruptions that have occurred. Because we now we know at least in, in mice models that when you throw a ton of NAD into an old mouse, they get cancer. Now, is the same thing true in humans? We don't know that for sure, but we really don't know what the exact dosing is. You know, So I think you have to be a little careful with these things and maybe looking at, you know, and there are things that we know will, um, will help downregulate CD38, so this protein. So maybe we need to use something to downregulate CD38 while we're giving some NAD, and maybe we need to cycle NAD a little bit more too, and not be giving it continuously. I think there's a lot of questions still about NAD, and I hope a lot of them get answered in this January. So yeah, we'll, you and I too. should meet after that and talk about it because great, I, yeah. I think it's a huge issue because NAD is a big buzzword right now, right? But I'm not sure we're doing it correctly. You know, and it's. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because for me personally, I tend to, and I've been focusing more on the downstream. And what I mean by that is like, it's like, okay, we know that to metabolize NAD, you're using up methyl factors. And so if you're just throwing NAD someone, are you really depleting the methyl factors and right, how's that right, affecting right. their homocysteine levels? And, you know, are they actually getting DNA repair because we're, we're we may be causing a problem by trying to fix one. And so I tend to look at doing things like SAMe or Betaine, um, like when someone's on NAD therapy, but now for me, this is great because now I want to take a step back and start looking yeah, you at gotta, I think you have to look upstream the other way. a little yeah, bit, right? I think you've exactly. got to look upstream, you know, and because what they found is if you didn't, that particularly for my, mitochondria, that you may actually cause some mitochondrial damage when you're just giving NAD and you're not fixing CD38 at the same time, that you may actually be affecting these mitochondria actually start producing these proteins that may be very, uh, very damaging to DNA. 
So I, I think yeah. you, you, you have to look at, at not just downstream, which you're right. I think that's a big problem too. Um, <laughs> when all these people are just pumping NAD into themselves, but I think you've got to look upstream too, because you got to look at why did the NAD drop as we age in the first place? Right. Um, because there's some underlying reasons for that, that are, are changing pathways too, but it's really complex. And I, I, I think, you know, we, we have a tendency in this field to go, oh, these things drop when we age, we'll just give more of them and all will be well. And that's probably way too simplistic, but it is this balance of growth and death, just like we were talking about. So, you know, NAD for a while, and then maybe get rid of bad stuff and then NAD and get rid of bad stuff and maybe not doing it so continuously on either realm. Right. Sure. Um, exactly. Okay. Good. I'm sorry. We could do a whole podcast on just that. Yeah, we that should do that step. after oh, January, gosh. after we, oh, you know, oh, yeah. so we can really sort of hopefully have some, you know, or, or, or we'll be more confused after listening to Dr. Yeah, either or, or, either or, be like, hey, you know what, this, <laughs> here's, a, here's a PowerPoint, y'all read this and tell me what you come up with from that. So that's great. So that's great. You know, we've got this Nesson piece, the autophagy piece. So that's like one of our cutting edge strategies. What would you consider next as you're looking forward to the future here? So I, you know, I think this is where, you know, when you look at, okay, the things we talked about maintaining muscle, preventing injury, and just kind of longevity in general, after we fix the hormones, and then you've gotten, you know, the, you know, all that piece, and we've gotten the autophagy under control, then you do look at the peptides, right? And you talked about FOXO4 dry for, for autophagy inducing agent, which is, which is great. Um, and, and, but, but probably the leading peptides, and I know you had Dr. Seeds on the show, and he talks about his favorite peptides, because those are really kind of some of the leading peptides that we need to use in anti-aging which are like the growth hormone secretagogues. Um, we, we know that having um, you know, higher growth hormone levels is really pretty vital to our health. You know, so you know, again, is there a, a, a point where you can overdo that too? Yes, probably if you way overstimulate IGF, you can certainly cause some issues, which is why we like the growth hormone secretagogues. So we have you know, what, what we use the most is CJC and ipamorelin. And that's growth hormone releasing hormone and a growth hormone releasing peptide. They work synergistically, they work together. So either one alone will raise growth hormone levels or IGF levels a little bit together. They have a big boost. So one basically causes you to make more growth hormone. The other one causes you to release more growth hormone in a sense, simplistically. So those are great because that's, you know, we know growth hormone is important for muscle building. We know it's important for deep sleep. So, so, you know, I, I, I think those are, if you, if you sort of picked one peptide to add to the regime, those would probably be my go-to, right? Um, the nice thing about those overgrowth hormones, you're not going to overdo those so much. Well, you can, but, but if you just give people exogenous growth hormone, then they get weird side effects and things. And this is, this is very self-regulatory. So you, you don't end up with some of the bad side effects or probably the cancer growth and things that we see with things like just pumping somebody full of growth hormone. So, you know, I think that that's probably one of my next go-to things in terms of the anti-aging, but then I always look at how do I keep people from being hurt, right? Because, you know, as you know, I mean, you're an athlete, if you get hurt, it can set you back for a year. I mean, tear your ACL, it sucks, right? You, you know, your, your whole workout regime, everything you want to do, hiking, skiing, everything you want to do is screwed up for an entire year, you know? And, and so, so you've got to prevent injury. So, so, you know, one of the things having, having, been there is, you know, I use a fair amount of BPC-157 and, you know, BPC for your listeners who aren't aware of it yet, it stands for body protective compound. And it's actually, it's a gastric peptide. It's made by our gut, but it's released as a repair peptide. And so basically it can help um, tendon to bone healing. It can help damage ligaments to heal faster. 
It can help muscle tears and strains. Um, so if you could jump on things early with BPC, when you get, you know, if you've overdone it, I actually, because I have a lot of, you know, I've got bad arthritis in my knees and stuff and it's all under control with what I do, but um, I, I basically do BPC pretty frequently. I mean, I, you know, I, I would say I'm, I'm more often on BPC than not, but if you're training hard, it's a great preventative. It's also really protective to the brain. So for any of your listeners that are, you know, athletes who are in sports that they're getting hit in the head a lot, like soccer or football or, um, you know, whatever sport, boxing, any sport that you're getting hit in the head a lot, BPC has a really protective effect for the brain. So they did a great little study where they, well, it wasn't a great study, it was kind of mean, but they dropped a little weight on a mouse's head. And if they were on BPC, the mice were fine. And otherwise the mice ended up not able to walk and having all these issues. And so we know that it has a very neuroprotective effect as well. So it's a really nice protection peptide. I think we use it a lot as a repair peptide when somebody's hurt, but it's also a good protection peptide. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the other thing I really advocate a lot of, cause it's simple and cheap are the collagen peptides. So collagen hydrolysate, and I don't know how much you use those in your practice, but they're easy, right? Collagen hydrolysate, mix it with a little vitamin C and it, it you know, it, and people kind of go, oh, we well, can't take collagen and have it incorporated. Well, the studies show pretty compellingly that, you know, they, they did a, a double blind placebo control study with collagen hydrolysate on people with knee arthritis and they walked farther and they rated less pain. And this was a placebo study. So, you know, and then they did another study on it with healing from an Achilles tendon rupture after surgery, and they heal about three times as fast using just a collagen hydrolysate. So we have some pretty good data that collagen hydrolysates are really good. And so what I do, because if you take collagen before your workout in conjunction, particularly with a little vitamin C, um, it promotes collagen synthesis. Um, so, so usually if, if an, an hour before exercise, you'll actually get joints healthier and stronger. So it also has an anabolic effect. So it actually has, um, collagen hydrolysate have a little bit of an anabolic effect. So here's something this, yeah, it's a peptide, but it's an over-the-counter supplement readily available and inexpensive, you know, over some of these other things we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the other thing I use a lot of, and I don't know if you use much of this or not is oxytocin in terms of, um, so oxytocin is a peptide hormone. Um, you guys might know it as the, you know, it's our love hormone, right? So when we're in love, we make more oxytocin. When we hug somebody, we make more oxytocin. When you have a baby, you immediately produce tons of oxytocin. That's what stimulates labor, right? It's oxytocin. And then you see your baby and you're in love immediately, even though they're crying and messy and, you know, and, um, and so, but beyond its effects on our mood, which is nice enough and making us feel better, it has an effect to gain muscle and lose fat. So it helps build lean muscle. So using oxytocin in both women and men, but women seem to respond really well to it. You could actually use that in, in helping for an anabolic, creating an anabolic state. Um, it also has, I mean, if you, if, if you guys Google oxytocin, it has really good benefits in terms of just anxiety. It has really good benefits for depression. It has really good benefits for um, stopping eating. So it actually controls your appetite too. So it has a lot of far reaching benefits. Um, you have to do it either as a nasal spray or as a subcutaneous injection, but, um, but I, I like oxytocin. 
sometimes you have to dose it a little higher than some of the recommended doses to get those anabolic effects. But, but you know, it's something that doesn't get discussed much and that I think is really a, uh, an underutilized peptide hormone. Um, you know, and then, actually, you know, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, you know, you were mentioning about the, for, uh, on the mental health side of it is that I do get sometimes with certain patients, I will get some ketamine compounded with oxytocin. Uh-huh. And personal experience with that is I kind of went really high on the oxytocin. Um, so normally, like, you know, not getting too much, you know, like I said, I don't want to really get into like actual protocols here, but on average, we'll use about 20 IUs per 0.1 mLs per spray of the oxytocin. Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, this is the, you know, the scientist in me, and this is, you know, for myself, like, let's do 40. And so I did 40 IUs, and I was like, okay, let's try one spray each nostril. And I, when I tell you I talked, Betsy, I talked. <laughs> And I was talking to a friend and I was like, oh man, you know, we were just having a conversation. And I was like, I better stop, man. I've been talking for the last five minutes. He's like, oh, Greg, you've been talking for 15 minutes straight. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. A little too much there. I, we, we're, we, I, we, a little we, too social. Too, too, much, too much bonding. <laughs> I, yeah, the bonding hormone definitely had me bonding. And I was like, I'm sorry. I just wanted to hug him. He's like, dude, stop hugging me. <laughs> and then you hugged him and cried. Like... <laughs> yeah, but actually, uh, I, you know, I want to do more research on that for on the anabolic side of it because that's mm-hmm. really fascinating. It's very yeah. fascinating, yeah. Yeah, it is pretty cool as an anabolic and, and, you know, and, and, um, and, and for PTSD too, it's, it's a really nice therapy. So I like your ketamine and I haven't tried that, but the ketamine oxytocin together is an interesting for depression or probably your PTSD patients. Um, you know, like your ex-military PTSD. Oh, any hyper excitable state, hyper vigilant state. So your anxiety, your OCD, your ADHD, like it just, it does great. And some patients I'll have, or almost like a rescue remedy, right? So if they're feel like they're coming to a point where they're going to have an anxiety attack or a panic attack. It just really levels them off, but it doesn't sedate them, you know? So they're not to the point where they can, they're still functioning. They're just calmer in those, those, yeah. those trigger right. states. Not, so not sedated. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's function. a great combination. Um, yeah, I think it's something yeah, that, that it does have a lot of far reaching benefits. So I do use it a lot. And, 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 and for some reason, I, I don't know why I think I use it more often in women than men. Um, I'm not sure exactly why that is. Maybe it's because of its, it's kind of decreasing appetite state. And a lot of women want that weight loss a little bit more than some of my men do. Um, you know, let's not leave today without talking about what, you know, you've talked about before, which is the, the GLP one agonist. Um, which I know you've had a podcast all about because they're so cool. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I have a crush on that <laughs> peptide. Know, I have a crush on like this, this is an amazing peptide, guys. I love with it. Yeah, yeah. The one we use the most is called semaglutide because it's a once a week injection and it seems to have the the best benefits and it's simple, right? Once a week is nice. It's kind of doable for people. Um, but semaglutide it, are is basically it's, it got its start as a drug called Ozempic, which was used for diabetes. And it's a, it's a great drug for, mod, for, for sort of modulating glucose and insulin, right? And my patients always say, oh, well, what if I, you know, I'm fasting or what if my glucose is already low? It's a modulator, meaning it will never drop out your glucose level and make you feel, it's not like giving you insulin. So it's a modulating agent. So you can fast and take semaglutide and it's not an issue. You can have normal blood glucose and take semaglutide and it's not an issue, but it has all of these other effects. I mean, it has all these other huge, huge benefits and, you know, on almost every organ system. So much like our myokines that you showed your nice little graph of my, I have a great little picture I show um, to all my patients of the GLP-1 agonist and every single organ system. Brain, it causes neurogenesis in the brain. It causes increase, so it pumps insulin into the muscle 
So you, that's a great way to build muscle, right? So unlike other diabetes drugs like metformin, which quickly, but may impede building muscle, semaglutide actually helps build muscle. It helps for a lot of different reasons with lean body mass. So basically you get rid of fat and you build muscle. So it's, it's, it's hugely advantageous for that. It helps cardiac function. So it's cardioprotective. It helps renal kidney function. So it makes your kidneys work better, makes your liver work better. Um, there's kind of not one organ system that the GLP one agonists don't touch. Yeah. That's the picture I show everybody. Uh, no, so, <laughs> so, so, so my command here. Yeah. There yeah. You go. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. I right? look at this. So it's, it's under investigational trials for Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's In fact, Um, it's, it's probably one of your better treatments, honestly, for your patients who have early dementias. Um, you know, it's great for people who have cardiovascular disease. It helps lower triglycerides. It helps lower bad, the small bad particles of cholesterol. It helps with skin. It may have some anti-wrinkle benefits, um, you know, lung, kidney. So, you know, so this is a drug where, you know, whatever it's downsides, you know, it's, it's biggest downside is it is a little bit of a struggle to get going on it. Because you have to start low and slow because it makes you sick. It makes you nauseous. Um, and I always tell people, you just got to get through it because it's so valuable. And the nausea goes away. I've been on this drug a long time. I can do a high dose of it, not get nauseous. But I don't know about you, because I know you take them too, Greg, but the, the, I don't know how, what your nausea situation was. But usually when you start low, you still go through a few weeks of feeling pretty queasy. Yeah, you I know, know the, um, and I started really low dose because I wasn't really trying to lose weight. Losing and weight, right. maybe about two or three days later, I was like, I'm, I'm a little queasy yeah. here. You it's know? weird. And it's test, weird. It's like the second right? day, yeah. right? It's like the second day after you give your injections. Remember, this is once a week, about the second day, you just feel queasy, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's uncomfortable. It's not horrible. You're not running off to vomit, but you're, you're queasy. Um, so you, we usually start low. We titrate people up. The dose is variable depending on your goals. Even a very small dose has all of those advantages that we showed. If you want to get into more of the weight loss realm, and this is a great weight loss drug, it actually is on the market as a weight loss drug called Wegovi, um, which you wouldn't hope that maybe now insurance would pay for it, but it doesn't. Um, <laughs> I have people who are 100 pounds overweight and have every comorbidity, and their insurance still won't pay for Wegovi. So, so we 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 get it compounded for us and we utilize it. Um, but it, you know, sometimes you have to get it to a milligram or more to get the weight loss effects. But honestly, this is a drug that has, I think if we were to pick one drug that has every anti-aging benefit, this might be our go-to. I mean, it's funny, you and I were at a conference together where, where everybody independently had put you know, together talks. I was talking about immune system and somebody else was talking about cardiovascular and somebody else was talking about, you know, I don't know what, but every one of us ended up going to GLP-1 agus and went to semi-glutide. Every one of us independently yeah. said, probably the best thing for this is. So there was, it was yeah. very funny that each one of us with our different organ systems that we were tackling went to the same drug, which tells you its value. And, and you know, we're using it, you know, more and more, but it's been a little bit of a game changer for me in terms of um, an option for getting people's glucose under control, for getting weight down and for helping improve liver function and kidney function, really helpful too. You know, a lot of our patients who, yeah, they like, like their glass of wine at night, you know, not going to advocate that, not a good thing to do, but this drug will actually protect the liver a bit too. So. Interesting you brought that up because we talked about that before we got online. I was like, you know, I'm at this conference and you're exactly right. There were so many talks on, on GLP-1 receptor agonists and semaglutide. I was like, I need to get on this. And literally <laughs> like I was at the conference researching as much as I can 
And the very next week, I was like, this is it. This is one of the missing pieces to what I'm, I need to add this to our longevity protocols or anti-aging protocols or weight loss protocols or inflammation protocols. Yeah, yeah. And the results- Anti-inflammatory. This, it's hugely oh anti-inflammatory. Gosh, exactly. Two months, you know, and we're talking at a patient, I believe his ESR was 18. Four weeks later, it was at 0.8. Yeah. With, yeah. Yeah. Guys, I honestly yeah. can't, yeah. yeah, I can't emphasize how, how, how amazing this, this, this drug is with the caveat. I have a few people even starting a low dose. They're like, I'm too nauseous. I'm not going to keep going. I try and convince everybody stick with it. You will get going, you know, you, you will get through this, but there are some people who just, yeah, who, who just. Yeah. And I'm very conservative about the starting dose. Cause I will get people that will say, Hey, hey doc, I feel great. Scale hasn't moved. I'm like, well, I, I got you at 0.1 milligram at 0.12 milligrams. I'm not expecting right. that. I want you to get used to it. Then I want you to get used to it, right? Yeah. Then it will come up and all that. You'll see it. Just right, that way they it. don't but, get right. But even at the lower doses, they will say they feel better. Like yeah. in general. So it's like, be patient. We're going to get there. So now something I want to kind of wrap up with this because I know our title here, I believe my, I titled this thing, uh, something of the effect of female fit and functional after 40. And I know we're, we're, we haven't really addressed that. And I think that's kind of the point is that this isn't just for men or women or people that are aging, it's for everyone, but this can right. be that strategy, that missing piece as you are getting older to help optimize your health. And so I think that's the key here is bringing that all. So anyone can listen to this and get value from this, but I really want to make sure that we know that our, this is the cool part. And I was thinking about this when you're talking is that this is the training we get, the research we do, the talks that we do with each other is because we've mentioned peptides and senolytics and GLP-1 receptor agonists and NAD, but Every single individual may need a different combination of that. Some people may need this, they, need, they may, may need more of the other, but it's putting it all together to create that program to keep you fit and functional as you get older. And that's where, that's where the value is. And that's what right. makes this exciting that we get, yeah. to put, we get to put all this together right get our patients better and, and as you know it's an art it's why yeah. you know when you know it, it's it's like not one protocol like you know we can tell you all these things right and you're like wow well that didn't help them at all <laughs> you know there's yeah. always those those little pieces of you got to dial this piece up and this piece down and you got to balance these things we're awfully complex individuals and one of the things sure. i always teach my patients it's like what we're talking about that balance of you know growth and death you know that's why you know nad continuously may not be good or you know or taking synolytics continuously might not be good i always tell my patients that our bodies are really designed to not be doing anything continuously i mean i you know i don't know i do that with my training right my training is changes all all the time because our bodies are very, very adaptive to things. And if you can vary things, including your supplement regime, including your peptide regime, it's always this kind of, um, you know, turn a little knob here and now turn a little knob here. And that's where, you know, working with somebody like you, where you, where you, you, you have somebody to guide you through. I always say, you know, can you read on Reddit and figure all this stuff out? I don't know, maybe, but, but the, the problem is it's a little bit like, I always say, you know, when my family has traveled through Europe, because we're really cheap and we, and you go to, you know, the Coliseum and, and you're like, this is cool. It's a big old pit with, you know, and then if you go there with the guide and he tells you the stories behind it, you're like, oh my God, this is really amazing place. Right. And so even though I can read my brochure about the Coliseum and say, hmm, yeah, this is cool. When somebody sat down with me and explained it all to me, it was much cooler. And I think the same thing's true of this kind of medicine. It really does help to have a guide with you along the way. So amazing. So amazing. So I guess we've taken so much of your time. If we go any further, you'll have to charge us. We'll have to start <laughs> sending my credit card info for the rest of the time. But this has been amazing. I really appreciate the time that you spent with us in part one and part two. Can't say this enough. This has been an honor and a pleasure. But before I let you go and, and hit that applause button that I still don't have yet uh, since part one, um, 
let us know where to find you if, if people want more information or want, want to learn more about what you do and what you have going on. You guys follow me um, at my Instagram at Dr. Yurth. I really try, my posts tend to be maybe a little too scientific for some people, but I try and to treat all my, you know, all my clients <laughs> like they're medical people. And that you, so you guys understand the science that way when you, when you're your doctor who knows nothing about what you're doing argues why you shouldn't be doing it. You can argue back with the science. So follow me at, at Dr. Yurth. I try and post a lot of stuff there that's kind of very scientifically oriented. Um, and if you if you don't understand it, just do your best. Um, and then and then you can also follow us at at, um, at Boulder Longevity. And then find us at BoulderLongevity.com. We have a great academy learning center, BLI.academy, where we offer online courses. Again, trying to teach you like your medical professionals because the medical schools aren't teaching the medical professionals this stuff. So you guys have to learn it. So we're trying to teach you the science so you don't have to learn it from, um, you know, Dr. Jones and I were talking earlier about you know, so much that's out there in social media. It sounds great. You're like, oh my God, that's a really cool supplement. But a lot of the people who are touting that supplement are getting paid $20,000 to tout that supplement. So you got to understand the science. So that's what we're trying to do is bring that to you. So BLI.academy, um, our learning arm, and then, you know, follow, follow me on at, at Dr. Yurth or come to our BodoLongevity.com site. Thank you. Thank you. And all that will be in the, the liner notes, the notes below or the information on the show. So you can actually be able to click and go to these sites as well. So we're excited about that. So Dr. Yurth, I appreciate the time. Again, thank you so much. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you virtually at the NAD Summit. And we're going to circle back after that. Be like, hey, yeah, we'll circle back and talk about, about NAD. Everything we, I'm excited everything we're about. more confused about. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> super exciting, super exciting. So thanks again. Hey, bud. Everyone else out there, goodbye. Until next Bye, guys. Time. Thanks for joining us.